Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 241 of the Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I talk to Travis Baldry of Double Damage Games about their space trading combat sim, Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. But before we delve into that, let's talk about other podcasts that are under Kane and Rince's vast umbrella. On Mondays, we have Kane and Rince itself, of course. This week, they're covering Observer. Then on Wednesday, we have Sound of Play, podcast to celebrate scores, musical scores of video games. Do check that out. It's one of my favourites. And also one of my favourites is Playwright on Thursdays where two people called Ryan invent games based on the ideas sent to them by their listeners. Now if you want to find out more about all those podcasts including the one I listen to now, which is called Sausage Factory, it's out on every Friday, you can go along to canerince.com where you can download archives of all of those shows I just mentioned. And you can participate in the forums there, which are active. Which I know is very unusual in 2019, but no, we have an active forum over there on canerince.com. There's also blog posts and links to videos and all sorts of other things. Speaking of videos, we also have a Twitch stream. Currently, every Sunday, we Twitch... Well, Twitch? We stream... From 8pm, British summer time, um, or Greenwich Mean Time, depending on what time of year it is. Although last week, a bit of a special, I streamed from 4pm. And uh, I actually streamed five hours of, that's right, Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. I streamed five hours of it. It was fantastic. Felt like two. It's that good a game. Um, but yeah, look up, just look up Kane and Rince. You go, go to Twitch. Do a search, Kane and Rince, and you'll find the channel. And there's a lot of content there. We also archive everything and put it up onto YouTube. So if you don't have, can't catch it when it's streamed live, you can always look at the archive on YouTube, which is put up pretty soon after the stream ends. Now, if you want to chuck us some coin, you can. That's right. You can feed back to us some gratitude by way of coinage. And the way you do that, by going to patreon.com forward slash Kane and Rince. If you do that, you see our page all lit up 
with a single tier donation, that being one US dollar. That's right, one US dollar a month will grant you extra content. You'll get episodes of Kane Rinse one week early, and then sometimes there's actually extended editions of those because typically they're limited to two hours. But uh, if you're a subscriber of Patreon, you actually get the extended versions, a director's cut, if you will. And then uh, there's also platform specials as well, which currently we've done, let's see, um, PlayStation, um, Game Boy, um, Xbox, and... Actually, did we do PlayStation? That's not true. I'm going crazy. Anyway, there are platform specials. The, the current one is Amiga. That's good. We did Mega Drive. That was it. I'm going, going crazy. All very, very confused. But yes, um, if you want to listen to the Amiga one, which I'm actually a host on, you can only do that if you actually subscribe to Patreon. So yeah, do that. There's also a monthly special podcast, which is hosted by the founders of Kane and Rinse, that is Leon and Jay. And uh, they talk about all sorts of things that's going on in the world of Kane and Rinse and outside as well. That's enough for me blabbering on about Kane and Rinse. Let's have a chat to Travis, shall we? Can you do that past me? Travis! Hello. Who are you and what do you do? My name is Travis Baldry. I am the CEO of Double Damage Games. And I write a lot of code and do a lot of design and, and I, I, I make stuff. You do. You do make stuff. And we're here to talk about a certain thing you've made. Um, so it's Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. But before we do that... Um, let's talk a little bit about your background, but we won't because we already did that back in January 2016. Because Travis, everyone, is a return guest, another one. I'm old. That means I'm old. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Um, but we've had return guests. We've had the flurry recently. It's been great. So happy to obviously frighten people away. Um, so, <laughs> if you want to know uh, Travis's backstory, go to the archive, episode 85. As you know, this is episode 241. So. Yeah, so it's a bit. You've got to go a bit way back, you know, almost three years, but uh, yeah, three and a half years. Oh, blimey, let's not think about that. But my next no, question, my next question, um, I still have to ask this one because this may have changed since you answered it last, and things have changed over the last three and a half years. So, what developer do you most admire in the industry, and why? What developer do I most admire in the industry, and why? Wow, <laughs> that's. It's actually a tough one that bears some thinking. It does. It does. Tell you what. Yeah. Let me come back to that in a minute after right. I let it marinate in my brain. Okay. That's a good... Yeah, I'm but, mildly caffeinated, so... Yeah, yeah. Know. It is because when I ask that question and the other guests, I say, you know, I realize this could be a bit tough because you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> there might be people you know, like, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't mention you, sorry. <laughs> but uh, so we go on to the next question, and then he can, then he can loop back because it's related to that for that last question, which is, what are you playing right now? What am I playing right now? Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. That's it. <laughs> is it Nothing really? Else. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's it. That's All right. It. Do you have any plans to play anything after it when it's released? Which is very <sighs> young. Which by the time it's out, it's out in the show, out in the wild, the show it will be out. Any any plans? Yeah. Any anything um, that's like oh I should check that out. Could be anything. <laughs> oh, you know, um, I've been meaning to play the 
the additional content for Breath of the Wild and go back to it now that it's been a while since I played it. Yeah. That's kind of been my someday when I get enough time. Yeah. I'm going to go sit down, restart that and play yeah. through. So that's I think that's my that's my next play, honestly, which is well, not that exciting of an answer. Breath of the Wild has been out for a while, but I never played the DLC content and mm-hmm. I love the hell out of the game. So I've been wanting to go back to it. Very good answer. No, because I want to get on the motorcycle. Exactly. I don't have a motorcycle. I didn't get to do the other, you know, stuff. It, you know, so I'm. That, that's probably what I'll do. And it, what did you make of that? Do you think it's a Zelda game, or do you think it's something else? I mean, I think it has a lot of the components of a Zelda game, which is, especially if you go back to Zelda One, it's got that feeling of here's this big world. I don't know what's going on, and I'm going to go poke at the corners of it and find a bunch of stuff. Mm. And that's kind of the original Zelda before it got as structured as it became. So I think in a lot of ways it's a throwback to that minus dungeons, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, I re- I found it really refreshing. I found it re- and I found it relaxing a lot of the time too. It had those kind of Studio Ghibli moments where you're standing on the green, you know, slightly cyan grassy hilltop, and the wind is blowing, and a little bitty trill of music, and it was just I, I loved it. Yeah, it, um, it was. You're right. In some parts, it was quite relaxing. Another part, it really wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're just whacking away at something and then that, you know, the weapon And your starts. sword breaks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> thanks. Thanks. I know it's a mechanic. It's an interesting mechanic. And so, and, you know, on the face of it, while it's happening, I'm like, I don't like it that my, my stuff breaks. I don't like it that I don't get to keep them. But then on the other hand, when you look at the design of it and you understand how it motivates you to move around and to constantly be taking stock of what you've got and what you might want to get and to be extracting your weapons like his resources from the world. I mean, you can see why they did it. Um, and I love the idea that when you run out, you go and you sneak back into the big castle and you get the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think also there was lots of traps and things you could throw at the creatures rather than actually going in full bore. Like actually there's a big exploding barrel there. Why don't you just roll that down the hill and fire a fire at it and boom, yep. they'll all be dead. Yeah, no effort. Just don't. Well, and in those games, you know. traditionally, you got you get like this mounting safety, right? You're constantly accruing all of these things that make you more and more stable and less and less vulnerable. You know, you get a better, you get a better, you know, you, get, you double your hearts, you get more hearts, you get a better weapon. All of these things make you more and more powerful and more and more invulnerable. And so this is you've constantly got this risk of things going wrong, which is, you know, keeps it from becoming too static as it moves toward the end. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's good luck with that. I'm sure you get your motorcycle. I'm sure you will. Um, but better I enlist my children. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you have an answer for me for the last question? Now you've had the time to stew on it. Um, probably. I'm. I'm going to say Tim Sweeney, and I don't mean this as a shilly way because we're on the Epic's Game Store, but you know, I'm going to say Tim Sweeney because he's been at this for so long. Mm-hmm. Is still an active developer sitting in a room with other engineers and hasn't checked out or, you know, coasted out or there's not a lot of, you know, elder statesman game developers. Right. And I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to put out there that Tim is like old or, you know, an elderly, but he's been in the industry for a really long time, you know, and consistently, you know, moving things forward. I respect that a lot. Hmm. No, that's a great answer. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's uh, the state. It, it, it can burn a lot of people out. I'm sure you've seen it. You probably 
witness people. Well, I mean, you know, get try up and name try and name a developer that was like, you know, a big deal and famous who's still in the industry. There's not very many, you know, mm-hmm. that are still. When was the last time you heard from Will White or Will Wright? Uh, yeah, when was yeah. the, you know, you. It's a hard industry. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of them go into teaching or they just move on or they semi-retire or, yeah, it's uh, it, it can. Uh, a lot of people just skip into another industry entirely or something different. But, uh, yeah, you're right. No, no, excellent, excellent answer. All right. That's the first half done with it. I told you it would be a little bit truncated. Because, you know, <laughs> Travis has been on before, so you don't have to go over old ground. Um, if you want to know his, his origin story, and then just go back to the old episode. So, so let's move on to the second half of the show where we delve deep into the deep black that is Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. Dark matter. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, Travis, tell us what is Rebel Galaxy Outlaw? Well, if it's, if the simplest way of saying it is that it's basically a modern reincarnation of Wing Commander Privateer. Um, but if you want to have like a more, you know, abstract definition, it is an open-world space trading adventure combat sort of role-playing game. Yeah. Now you mentioned Privateer there. Now you and I when we met at, at, at Pax West, and uh, I said, "Oh, oh, it's elite." And he went, "Well, <laughs> I mean, in a semi-mechanical sense, yes." Semi-mechanical, <laughs> but then, but the thing about the difference, the major difference between Privateer and Elite was Elite is was is is, could say, a little bit po-faced. It's a bit oh, Newtonian physics. <laughs> It's austere and kind of classy, as I maybe maybe a way that I would put it. I'm going to use the word classy because it makes it sound good. Yeah, um, no, it, but it's it, there's a there's a certain distance to it. You is. know, it's about the grandeur of space it and is. scale, and you know yeah. this sort of. I, there's a very. I mean, it's like kind of that classic hard sci-fi kind of vibe, right? Yeah, and privateer is pulp. It is. That's the best way to describe it. It's wonderful because 
you can't slingshot around celestial bodies. <laughs> Privateer had the Frazetta cover, and the other one had, you know, you know, gaseous nebula and a yeah. distant spaceship. You know, yes. that's the difference. Yeah, it's wonderful. But I just wanted to make that clear to everyone that that although you could look at both sort of games, if you like, Privateer and the Elite, in like looking on paper, like they seem to do the same thing: trading, space. To, but their actual execution is very, very different. And you're right. Privateers, we had a story for a start, um, and there was a narrative, and you cared about the person you were engaged with, and you were, you know, you you were desperately the opening. I'll never forget the opening sequence with the strange little <laughs> alien vessel that gets shot at with yeah, and the yeah, I can still quote the whole alien sequence and the bizarre pirate dialogue. It's like it was just it was really weirdly written and acted, yeah. and it was just very strange and just completely charming. <laughs> yes. So. Yes, I think you can still play it on Origin. Is it? But it might be. I don't know. Yeah, I've got it. it. I've got it. On, I've got it on GOG. I think. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's on Origin. Yeah, I'm just trying to think because I know EA still hold on to that. But and it's right. hard to play. It's hard to play. It is. Um, it doesn't. <laughs> it's just. It does not. It does not. There's a lot of niceties that don't exist. Yeah, and the control is is. is you know, controls were never that great at the time, anyway. But well, the wing commanders were never known for their fantastic control at that in that era. No, absolutely right. I mean, they had an analog stick for a start. Um, yep. I played Wing Commander on the Amiga because British. Oh, weird. you poor, you poor, you poor man. <laughs> it was so slow on that. Well, I had it on a twelve hundred, so I managed to. Oh, crank it wasn't it up. that yeah, bad. It wasn't that bad. It had kind of the weird dithery colors the way they remapped the palette down. Yeah, but, but it was only four discs, so I've got that. <laughs> Oh oh, that's true. I don't know how they did that. I see you knew and I know how they did it, but that's custom chips, everyone. But anyway, <laughs> um, the point is, um, what you've made here in Rebel Galaxy is definitely, um, it's like, and I've said this before to you and others about games like this. It's as if it's like, let's take my memory of what Privateer used to be. Like, oh yeah, it's like this. No, it wasn't. But if only <laughs> it was. Because it's yep. like if you've gone back in time, say, um, I'm from the 21st century, actually mid-2019 sort of, and um, we've actually reinvented this in, you know, because we have something called game design now as a skill, as a thing that's recognized. Uh, we just and, have the benefit of years and years and years of mistakes that have, you know, people have recovered from, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, did there's something, you know, you know, um, this quality of life stuff. I'm sorry, what? It's a phrase. Get over it. <laughs> it's just, it's just... Well, they, you just think about it. They had 320 by 200 pixels to work with. How much UI can you cram on there? Yeah. Not that much. You know, right. there's a lot of things you just can't do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, they had to put it on diskettes. Yes. <laughs> Hundreds of them. Uh... Yeah. That's what it felt like. That's what it felt like in those days. So um, my first question then. Uh, so everyone understands so it's a space pilot not like Rebel Galaxy where you had a capital ship with broadsides and stuff like that which was fabulous I just the satisfaction of just aiming it just right and slamming into the side anyway it's another game which is fantastic um, but, um, um, and uh, again can't praise you enough for that but there's this follow on this natural follow on is actually a prequel isn't it it's set before yeah, the sure. events Sort of prequel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's how you pitched it. I know it's not quite, I mean, it's uh, more complicated than that. But um, And you do play um, someone, uh, a, a person, 
Yep. And uh, yep. she's um, she's coming out of retirement, basically. <laughs> she, she thought she could do what she did back in the day and turns out, eh, maybe not so much. Maybe not so much. Um, yeah, you started off a little rough, a little rusty. Little Been out rusty. of the game for a while. Been out for a long while. And <laughs> uh, um, she tries to take on someone and realizes that, ah, back in the day, I would have whooped his ass, but uh, not so much now. So I've got to rebuild. And that's... Um, it's a great opening se- sequence. I've seen it in other similar sort of games. They put you in the best sort of ship you could possibly have and go, yeah, yeah maybe. Got to show you where you can go so yeah. that you can, you know. Eventually arrive there. And um, so with that in mind and space and the key to this, 90, well, let's see, 70%, now I'm gonna, my estimate, of your time in the game is in space, engaged in space and, and flying around between... Um, uh, other times you're doing other things, which we'll talk about yeah. later. I want to ask you, and the first thing that struck me and I was really happy about, and, and I must admit, I only looked at the normal game because I thought most people will experience the game in that mode, if I may say. That's uh, what I hope. I, yeah, I don't want to delve into that because I think the other modes of play are what I would call the new game plus experience, if anyone uses that's, that phrase. That's what we hope. That's what we hope people treat them as. Play the game and then try that out. Try that out. So that's what I did. Now I'm just going to ask you, the targeting and locking system, I think it's fantastic. Brilliant. Yay. Um, it reduces the need to hunt the enemy, stroke escort, stroke station. Um, you know that you know dreadful thing where you're doing the, and also the technical term of it, it feels like a banana or a boomerang where you're swinging round and round the enemy. Over, yeah. Typical dogfighting, which is bad yep. dogfighting. Circling forever. <laughs> Circling and then you forever. do a little space joust. Yes. And then you do it again. Then you do it again. It doesn't happen so much because mm. I believe this targeting log system. Uh, so basically, everyone, you just uh, hit a key. Or I was playing it with my Xbox One controller plugged into my PC, which I highly recommend, by the way. Um, and uh, hitting left trigger a lot just to lock onto things. It made life a lot easier. How did you come about? How did this? Come? So, yeah. Initially, Howard Day, our uh, our uh, our uh, uh, art lead, our art director, had played the Call of Duty Modern Warfare that's uh, that was in space, whose name I can't remember right now. And he mentioned that they had a button when you were in the space combat that would just kind of like lock on to somebody, and you could do and it would do like barrel rolls and stuff like that. And he thought, well, we could try something like that. And so I didn't play Modern Warfare. I just thought well okay i if i was going to have it if i was going to have a control that let me lock on what would i have it do and this was close the way it works now is close to what i initially came up with um and we continued to like add features to it and refine the way it worked but um the gist was i just want to find the person <laughs> and i, I want to not have to worry about overcorrecting all the time and uh, so then that was the first iteration of it. And then it just kept getting refined. You know, more features would be added, more subtlety to the way that it dealt with locks or, you know, how it managed your throttle or being able to lock onto things that weren't ships. And all these things kind of got munged together into the final form that it's in now. It just takes out all the mess and the dead time, you know? Well, a lot of the time I think you spend in cockpit focused games or even third person space sim games is you're overcorrecting for something that you couldn't see. Yeah. The guy wasn't the guy wasn't on the screen. Yeah. You couldn't see what their trajectory was. 
so you couldn't predict accurately which way you were going to have to correct to deal with it. And then they do get on the screen and you discover that your assumptions are wrong and your stick has been pointed in the wrong direction and then you have to adjust for that. And then by the time you've done that, they're off the screen again and you don't know which way they're heading. And so there's this constant lack of information that means that you are not operating on information that you need to make a good decision about which way to turn. So ideally, this is this is removing that ambiguity. And then you're just worried about what you have to do when they're on the screen. Um, that's the general hope anyway. Yeah. And sorry to mention Elite again, but for me, back in the day, it's like, well, you had the 3D compass or the 3D sort of scanner. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. there they are. Swing round. It's right there. And that, you know, that was a very simplistic, I thought, although in the back in the day, it was probably, it was ingenious. Uh, and uh, people have tried to emulate it and not really done a good job because it's, it is what it is. And yeah. I felt that what you've made here is very close to what that was, but that was all manual, but you just got used to the lexicon of it or the understanding of it. Like, oh, okay, well, they're behind me or they're peering up behind me. Oh, they're going to shoot me, aren't they? There they go. And you just, <laughs> and you just be able to, because of the method of control for that, you just got used to it. Whereas this, this is much more uh, immediate. And this is like, get to the point. That's what I find with the whole message I'm getting, underlying message with Rebel Galaxy Outlaw is just get to the point. Um, yeah. Not without the expense of the overall experience. I mean, if I'm in a dogfight, I want to be in the dogfight that I see in the movie where you're on the tail of the ship and they're weaving in front of you and you're trying to line up the shot and then fire comes off the wing. That's the cinematic moment that you want out of a dogfight, right? Yeah. Not the bit where you can't see them on the screen and you're just like, do I need to turn left? Mm. Nobody puts that in a movie. That's boring. Nobody yeah. cares. Um, so you just want as many of those moments that are the good moments as you can get. So pruning off the others is the idea. Mm. Same thing with travel and landing and interstitials and anything else. When you don't want to experience them, ideally, you don't have to experience them. But I mean, there are there are quiet moments in these games that are enjoyable. It's just I only want to do them when I want to do them. Yeah, um, that's what we I mean. So we ended up with two ways of fast traveling. Initially, it was just autopilot. and You just got where you wanted. But you know, people said, well, we kind of want to stay in the world sometimes. And I can see that the right music comes on the radio and I just want to listen to this song and kick back after something. And it's my choice to do something idle. And that's fine. But nobody ever chooses to not be able to find their target in combat. No, that's true. And um, I do found, I feel a little bit like when the combat, when the ships are taking all the hits and I felt a little bit, a little bit like free space to... I think with the yeah, there's some damage. there's definitely some free space, free space influence. They've got that nice kind of chunky combat. Yeah, and also I love the fact that the missiles have to lock onto the tail. Well, yeah, those are the heat seekers. You can get some that don't. Indeed, but I just want to. I didn't want to spoil. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> I just the initial missiles you have, you need to actually get onto their engines, and uh, it's quite funny when you fire it off. I just did a summer test fires, and like, you know, you should have done that because they wasted it and. Uh, and also love the it's fact that twirling it, off into the black, yeah. yeah and also, <laughs> yeah, it goes twirling off. I just did it because it's like, oh, that looks pretty. And also making sure it's hitting the right button. But also, um, I just love the fact that everything costs something, even a docking fee. <laughs> it's like, wait, I lost fifty credits worth. You know, it's not free. The space station's gonna run itself. You know, gotta get so, that jump fuel. Yeah, you gotta get a jump fuel. Yeah. So, um, no, I suspected that was that was the uh, the case that you'd actually, like I said, the underlying languages. Let's get to the point within reason. So, the next question, 
is a question that I ask anyone who's developed a less sandbox game, but I want to ask you how you deal with this. So with Rebel Galaxy Outlaw being a sandbox game, there are many ways to progress within it. It's one of the appeals, right? You know, it's yeah. just, you could be a you know a full-on mercenary, or you could just be a trader trying to make your way and and be in between times getting becoming more and more powerful, only because you want to defend yourself, not because you're actually yeah. out to actually destroy anyone. Or you could be a bit of both. You know, you could one minute you could be a trader, and the next minute actually I'll just do some bounties a little bit, and then you know mix it up, mix it up. Knowing the paralysis of choice, or paralysis of choice is a perennial problem, especially in video games. How do you prevent, how do you think you set out to prevent the player from becoming overwhelmed when they start playing Rebel Galaxy Outlaw? Um, so initially, it's just giving you some breadcrumb to hit. You know, there's the, some kind of golden path that you can follow. So you have a story mission you can go to. You've got a big yellow diamond you can fly toward that you're free to ignore, but there's something to lead you through. Um, and ideally there's just, there's just very obvious short-term goals. It was one of the reasons to start you in a garbage truck, right? You want to, I want to not be in a garbage truck. And obviously the only way you're going to get anything better is with money. And so just putting some low risk ways to get money in front of you early is ideally how we at least set you off in the right direction. And people are going to do different stuff. Um, some people are really just literally going to go into the commodities market and buy some stuff and sell it somewhere based on, you know, they, they love doing that kind of thing. But um, uh, we don't handhold as hard in this game, though, as the previous game. Uh, the previous game had buttons all over the screen like Skittles and, you know, tutorials every 30 seconds that stopped and showed you a little video and consciously tried not to do that this time out because I kind of find it a little wearying after a while. Yeah. You credited the audience with some intelligence. Something I say to a lot of uh, a lot of people when I come on to certainly more complicated and more moving parts games. They're like, Oh, look at all this stuff. How do I cope with this? Well just assume there's some level of intellect there's, there's, on the part of the player. There's a certain joy to getting your foothold and finding your way around, as long as it's not too punishing to fail. Yeah. And our hope is that given the fact that we have in the previous game, you had to fly everywhere, and it took time. So if you died, it was considerably more punishing. But we're constantly effectively looping you back to a point of save because you can only have so many missions at a time. You run out of weapons. You know, you need to go back to a station. You have a constant drive to head back to a station, which is going to save for you and anchor you. Um, so ideally, any mistakes you make, you're not losing vast quantities of time. Yeah. Again... Mistakes shouldn't actually punt, be too punitive, otherwise you'll never return to the game. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, that, again, that fine balance of actually trying to figure out what that is. Um, but you don't want to make it a, a cakewalk either, because then it's not a challenge. So right. There it is. Now I'm going to ask about the, uh, the interface, because I find, as it should be, the cockpit is quite busy. There's a lot of stuff yep. going on. Lots of being explained, everything from your reputation with various factions, right to your shields, your level of shields, your speed, where you're, what, you're, what you're currently locked onto, what your current missions are, all this stuff. It's all across the, the dashboard. And I just want to ask you, um, you've somehow managed to keep it within the proper peripheral vision of the screen because one of the things that always bothers me is when people put um, say a health bar in the top right hand corner you can't see it 
Yeah. You, you have no idea how much health you've got because you can't see it because you can only see the middle ellipse of the screen. Yeah. Um, so how have you found designing it? No, because I found that you've put all the important stuff that you need to know immediately within that ellipse. So usually how... there's a usually there's a couple cues for everything too. So right. all of your weapon information is in is on your reticle, so you can see which weapons are active, how much ordnance you have, which ones firing. Um, all right there in the center of the screen. So you don't you don't have to glance around. You know that your left gun is on. You know that this one's almost out. You know that this is reloading. Those aren't things that you have to glance away to find. Um, the uh, Most of the other, I mean, a lot of it has audio cues that go with it. So if somebody's talking to you, you don't have to look at their face. You don't have to read the text. They're going to say it to you. Um, if you're getting uh, if you're getting damaged, there's usually you know some big global thing that lets you know that you know the glass is cracking or you know you're pounding on the dash. There's there's cues that you don't have to look explicitly at. Um, I think the radar is probably the the thing that you have to glance at the most. Mm. Um, but you also don't have to glance at it. You can yeah. look around and you'll get some on-screen reticles that 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 bring that into view. Um, I mean, it's always a challenge to pack a lot of information in, and a lot of it is just trying to find multiple ways to tell you the same information so you catch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just for a game like this, and it can be won or lost. The player like could be drawn in, or like it's too much going on. Um, I didn't see that. I didn't know that was flashing at me, telling me that's not working. You know, yep. and uh, that's that must have been quite a challenge. Whilst maintaining the spirit. Because it is a kind of spiritual, not successor, but nod to Privateer, which, you know. And you, you know, we, we know that people are going to miss stuff. It's just, it just happens. Yeah. It, you could have it blinking and with a sound and yeah. an animation and yeah. people will miss it. Yeah. You just don't absorb all the information at once. So the hope is that we keep you interested long enough and we present enough things that make you want to learn that you're, you take the time to absorb those things. And then you know where to look and you know what's going to happen. And, and you make these mental connections about this information. Mm -hmm. We Hopefully we just have to give you enough of a hand for long enough that you're willing to pull through that. Yeah. So my last question, I know all good things must come to an end, but uh, this one is about, we haven't really touched on it. We've focused very much on mechanics and your interaction with the game. But what we haven't spoken about is the world. And I mm -hmm. know you've sort of, also explained a lot of this in Rebel Galaxy, the original game, but this is from another perspective. This is more of a personal perspective uh, and their interaction with the world they're in. It's an odd one, if I may say. It's uh, <laughs> There's CRT screens everywhere. Like, why? Yep. They it's all retro future. Retro Everything future. is very retro future. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> and that was one of the the fun things about doing a prequel too is that we could take the technology down a notch and be a lot more like late 70s sci-fi yeah in general hoses and buttons and big chunky screens and a pda that weighs 20 pounds yeah. um yeah it's uh and the hair <laughs> exactly there's there's lots of hair everyone lots of <laughs> lots of hair and um but uh there isn't uh, an emphasis uh of uh personal interaction between the main protagonist and those she encounters. Um, and I just want to ask, and this is all related to also there's, and what we haven't mentioned, and I think we should, there's a bunch of mini-games. I say mini-games. They're called full-blown games, you could argue, because there's a version of Asteroids in there, and uh, which is great. 
and there's also a full pool table and bowling and all sorts. Um, I think. Um, and uh, this seems to have come from a place where you're um, having the main protagonist having this these encounters with people, having a personal, you know, because it's driven by her personal vendetta, whatever that may be, and why, and yeah. uh, her interaction. Why have you gone with this way with the design of the world? Why have you gone made it this way? What 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 drove you to to be to make it uh, such a personal um, journey rather than the name the the, the uh, nameless protagonist? Nameless protagonist. Um, I just think it makes the games more relatable and interesting. I mean, that's why that's why I liked Privateer, even though it was objectively not very good space combat, and. You know, Wing Commander was never as good space combat-wise as the X-Wing series, but it had something that those didn't. X-Wing had a lot, just but it was like it was like a, it was almost inherited from the movies, right? They just play a little John Williams cue and show a stormtrooper, and you've got you've got backstory. Yeah. Uh, but the Wing Commander games, you know, built their own, um, and uh, they were either you know there was kind of the military and your stereotypical gruff dude in space. Um, but they were they were human. And so the goal for this is ha- to make it as human as possible, to be relatable at a human level as much as we can, because if you spend all your time in space, you know, you don't have there's no there's no connective tissue. So we got to have people on the comms that talk and have weird accents and insult you. And, and you got to be able to see your hands. And I think that it's just a lot easier to anchor yourself to and enjoy a game that has some human element to it. Um and apart from just like the human connection and the warmth of having characters that you interact with and speak with, having things to do that don't involve shooting things and allow you to kind of like engage a different part of your brain for a while, just so that it doesn't become this rote sequence of fly, shoot, fly, shoot, fly, shoot, fly, shoot. We want that, that change in tempo that still feels like it's part of the game. And it also means that your actions have consequences. Yeah. That's that's what I found, is just that it became that human thing of, like, people are attracted to people, typically. And yep. that's what I'm fine, that's what I got from this, is, like, you've actually created a narrative, and the best narratives is not the plot, everyone. It's actually people and what they yep. do in that world that's been created. And, and our so- story is purposely not like a traditional sci-fi story it's nobody saves the world you don't join the military there's no big alien threat it's all just about people and people's terrible relationships and a lot of it is an excuse to introduce you to more people that you then get to continue to interact with over the course of the game so we have buddy characters there's six of them and you get introduced to them as part of the story some of them you had known prior some of them are newly introduced and they're all after you have meet the, have met them and met certain criteria, you can call them up anytime you want to come give you a hand. They all have their own special ships and they have their own little conversations and quips and their own side chains of missions. So that hopefully you're just involved with other characters because every time you meet a new character, it's kind of a reward. Oh, there's somebody else to talk to. There's some other there's some other in-game connection to a person or a not person, as the case may be. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. But um, yeah, I love the... The uh, little sort of uh, interactions you have with other pilots while you're out there. Um, there could be anything from, you know, the police scanning you again, 
or you know helping out traders and them sort of giving you a boost for the for, for you protecting them or indeed taunting those <laughs> who uh who uh aim to blow you up out of the sky um that's that's always lovely and again it's definitely a throwback from wing commander uh, games because they're all about that weren't they there's like uh, yeah and people don't do that anymore no i mean no it's like which said, is too bad it is because it's all be it's all very po-faced although no man's sky has a bit of it but nowhere near enough if I'm not yeah, they have the little characters when you when you land at the stations. Yeah. That's it, yeah. That's and I think cool. No Man's Sky has a lot of character, and they just continue to add it. You know, it has yeah. a very specific, you know, aesthetic vibe. I mean, it's more Yes album cover, obviously, but... It is indeed. Not that... Yeah, yes. Anyway... <laughs> not a prog rock fan. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, the album covers were great. Roger Dean, yes, thumbs up. Mm-hmm. It looks like we're back on the Amiga again. Anyway, so... Um... Rebel Galaxy Outlaw by Double Damage Games is out now on Windows PC via Epic Games Store. And I understand from your website, this is what you say publicly, that you are working on a PS4 and Switch version. Is that still true? We are. They both are running and playable games, but we're just not paying any attention to them until the PC is out. Indeed. Indeed. But I just, for my for console loving uh, audience, just so they know. Um, but. Uh, yeah, Travis, it's been fantastic having you on again. Thanks for having me back by. And uh, I do wish you the very, very best of luck in this endeavour. I'm sure I know you're getting very wound up and sort of psyched for this imminent <laughs> release. And it's now out amongst the uh, the press now, and they're, they're getting hold of it as we're recording this. And they'll be streaming it and things like that. And you've done a, also done a great job, by the way, of, of uh, supporting the streaming community because there's a lot of, a lot of licensed tracks on this game. And, there were a uh, lot, yeah, and you've done you've done bent over backwards to make their life easier. Because hopefully well, it all works out. Hopefully, hopefully it all works out. Yeah, that, uh, that dreaded uh, that dreaded strike that people get on YouTube and and Twitch is that no one wants it. So, uh, but no, and you've also done a lot of stuff as customization as well. I notice you can do all sorts of weird and wonderful things with your ship and paint it and all sorts of strange, wonderful colors uh, and put stuff on it. <laughs> wow. But no, you've really gone to town with this, and it's, the love is there. It's just, it, it comes out from the screen. You, you really yeah. Hopefully, it's did. obvious we cared a lot about it. You know, you've, yeah, you really did care with a capital C. So, of course, you're more than welcome to come back uh, when you've made your next thing, whenever, that, <laughs> whatever that may be. But until then, thanks very much. Thanks so much. 